Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We are getting into the latter stages of the Australian Open, but Rafael Nadal is not coming with us. He was defeated by Stefanos Tsitsipas in the fifth, uh, not in the fifth, in a five-setter. He was up two sets to love. It was in the quarterfinal. The two-seat is out. It was a, a really interesting match. We're going to hit on that. A little bit about Djokovic into the final after a straight set win over Karatsev. And uh, and then we want to talk a little bit about retirement questions. And it came up with Serena, who's not in the three, but I think if our show was called four, she might be the fourth. Uh, so we will got, 20, got 23 reasons. She's got 23 reasons <laughs> to be that fourth. Right. Uh, but, but let's start with this Nadal match. Joel, do you, do you feel like how big do you feel like energy was a part of this? Because there was a, a distinct shift in this match after the third set tiebreak, which wasn't played well by Nadal. Well, Tsitsipas perhaps aided by the fact that he got a walkover win in the prior round versus Berrettini. So he didn't have to play. And there's always the concern about, well, does he miss work time? And he's kind of out of the group of playing, but he, he had plenty of energy to burn. And he's a good 12 years younger than Rafa. And he played some, some great tennis. I mean, gee, that's only the third time in Nadal's career he's lost after having a two sets to love lead. And uh, all three of them are two opponents who are on fire way back to Roger Federer at 05, to Fanini at the 15 US Open, and now to Tsitsipas. So these guys, it shows you how great Roth is. I mean, right down to the end, he had break points in that last game to take it into a tiebreak. Just an incredible effort from Tsitsipas. Mm -hmm. It could have gone either way. Conditions did not favor Rafa with the fast courts and his, you know, big top spin that normally to a one-handed backhand, he would top the crud out of that thing to the person's one-handed backhand. But because of the conditions, um, that wasn't as much of a factor. So he was constantly having to, in the last two sets, he was constantly having to change his strategy. He was moving in a lot. And it was working a lot, uh, but he did miss a crucial volley toward the end, Gil. Um, but again, it could have gone either way. And like Joel says, that's a testament to Rafa. There was a lot of uh, Federer-esque backhand play by Tsitsipas to, to really get on top of that cross-court forehand by Nadal and take it on the rise. And, and yes, you know, the conditions are a factor in that. The, the height of bounce might have made that a little bit easier for Stefanos to do. But I think what was so hard for Nadal fans is not that he lost, or Nadal fans and Nadal, not that he lost uh, to a player playing great, as as we all agree. But, you know, if you look at the third set tiebreak, two missed overheads and some unforced errors in that tiebreak, then the swinging volley that you're alluding to, Amy, uh, at the, when, when was that? That was the 5-6 game. Yeah, he definitely missed the volley in the final game with six best serving. Yes, he did. He missed the yes. forehand volley. And then there was a, a passing shot in the fifth set that that could have um, 
given him a, a, a 30, a love 30 advantage that he was unable to convert on. So there were some very uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic misses in big spots. Yeah, no he also question. nailed a lot of great volleys too. And, and I just, I had my story written basically if he won the match at how Rafa is bringing the volley back, you know, and, and look at how he can adjust his game on the fly and that kind of thing. But yeah, that one that he missed, um, I think that was a deuce point. If I'm remembering it right, it would have given him ad, but um it's not over for, for Rafa by any stretch, and, and he had a bad back this tournament. So um, we'll see what he does from here. Well, he was very gracious afterwards about it. He said he was feeling fine. He was pretty good. And that he said, he said that's sport, you know, and, and he was very, there's always a gracious, magnanimous quality to him yeah. in victory or defeat. And uh, it's interesting. You mentioned, Gil, about the one-hander and sits fest. You know, you look, these three, have defined the questions of style, of what you have to do. In other words, conscious or unconscious, Tsitsipas, as he was coming of age as a player, saw the way, let's say, Medal was munching these one-handed backhands. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like seeing the sprinter who runs at a certain speed. This is how fast, oh, I, I got to run this fast. I got to, so, so you see the way Tsitsipas has gone about constructing his, his game, his one-handed backhand, and there's such, a, such an energy that he brings. And so in a way, we can look at these current players through the prism of how the three have raised the bar to force them to play tactically. And we're going to see this more as we watch people like Medvedev evolve. We've seen it to a great degree already with Dominic Team and his backhand, which is kind of a, a new generation, a new iteration of what the one-handers meant to be. I mean, basically, when you look at what Federer brought to the 2017 Australian, oh, he was trying to hit it a little bit like Team, <laughs> like go after it, topspin, drive it maybe earlier, but the same, the idea of a, of a dynamic kind of backhand that Federer hadn't had quite as much of early in his career. So the way these guys sometimes become victims of their own success against opponents who are young and zoning and more than a decade younger than them. Well, if the age factored in, I almost feel like it was, uh, I just think Nadal, he, his energy levels did fade a little bit because he just wasn't, um, he just wasn't quite as sharp getting to the corners and, and defending. And there were, there were more loose errors. And again, I think that that Tsitsipas was making him play extra balls. And I think Stefanos was like an energizer bunny in that fifth set, which is not easy to do. I think he showed off incredible fitness and explosiveness. Uh, the defense was great. The forehand was the best shot on the court. But I, I do kind of think that the reason Nadal played so sloppily in the third set, if I were to attribute it to anyone is I think that he felt himself physically diminishing. And was that the age? Was that because he had to focus on rehabilitating his back instead of focusing on his conditioning in the lead up to this? Was it the quarantine? Whatever it was, I just don't think that he maintained the, uh, the level of fitness. And I think that that was what ultimately put so much pressure on him and caused some of the misses. Could well, yeah. Look, the, quarant the quarantine, all those things, really. I think also, yeah. again, I think the quarantine, the whole emotional aspect of this, this is really a whole issue yeah. in terms of the pandemic. All these things are really going to impact tennis all year long. 
But look, I remember we did a podcast and we were talking about can Tsitsipas ever exercise the demons, you know, because he had lost some very mm. close five setters and slams. Well, guess what, guys? <laughs> I think this did it. I think you're right. Actually, I think yeah. he is mission redeemed. It's a pretty good effort. It, it started at, Ro at Roland Eros, which was for Tsitsipas' sake after the US Open, so he could begin the exercising of the Korich loss. And then it's continued. And right, there's a certain type of, okay, I've proven it. That's a pretty neat thing. That's a pretty special thing. You don't often have that many five set opportunities to gain that from. And I think Nadal across the net has always helped him mentally because I think there's a little bit of uh, let me copy that guy. Let me do what he's doing. And, you know, Tsitsipas has so much, uh, so much respect for how Nadal carries himself. I do think that that's what he strives for. And what I was really impressed with, for, with for, uh, from Tsitsipas's perspective, one of the things is when things were going against him and Nadal was just at a crazy level in the first two sets, outclassing Tsitsipas, he was not wasting energy getting frustrated. And maybe he would have been tired in the fifth set if he was fuming and, and boiling and, you know, basically exerting energy, being really frustrated that he was losing. I've never seen him so calm getting beaten so bad. <laughs> That's an interesting observation because we've seen Novak in this tournament smash a racket to smithereens to try to get himself fired up. Like it's the opposite um, to put out a little energy out there to, to raise the level. Um, maybe Sitsipas is a different kind of guy and, and needs to conserve that way. Well, his energy, it's interesting. I was at the press conference two years ago when he lost to Nadal and he was a little befuddled by it. He said, wow, this guy knows how to make you play bad. But then I think, because the way the, the playing styles are somewhat, are, are quite different. You know, Sitsipas has his own with the one-hander and the kind of shot making and the explosiveness. And yet maybe then he went to study and he and his team looked at it watch how this guy Rafa concentrates, watch how he plays with passion, not riding on passion, watch how for Rafa, the emotion is not this roller coaster, but it's just this, this burning amount of, of energy that he just brings through and through of being positive. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Who knows? Maybe we'll eventually be doing a show called a uh, three, a show about Sitsipis, Medvedev and team. <laughs> <laughs> but but listen um i got a little tease for a piece that i'm gonna write um and I, i've gotta get it all together but Tsitsipas and djokovic um have done a good job of making use of what i'm going to call the star of this australian open which is a certain type of serve that has proved to be very effective that's my little tease can for i you. guess yeah do you want me to get it? No. Yeah, it guess. The second serve the forehand? No. Ooh. I thought <laughs> it was maybe the second serve out yeah, wide. You're, you're close. You're, you're in the arena, but that's not exactly what it is. Wide serve. I, wide I, need to, I need to crunch the numbers before we get into such details. So. Oh, I was okay. waiting for you to give us the report on how many volleys Nadal has hit in his career. <laughs> well, hopefully more, you know, the, the story is still unwritten. That's right. But I, yeah. Okay, good. I, that would be a fun story to see. It does feel like there was a, the biggest shift here of all was that a guy, a, Stefano Tsitsipas hadn't won big 
important points in majors against any big three opponents since he beat Federer at the Aussie in 2018. And ever since then, it's been a string of pretty heartbreaking losses for him at majors. And then he, he went far at Roland Garros. I thought, I thought that was a huge breakthrough for him. And that's what led to this and gave him that belief. But man, for, for the big points, and we see, especially with, with Djokovic so often, for the big points to be so stilted in favor of Tsitsipas over Nadal in, over the course of the last three sets was really different to see. Yeah, very much so. I think uh, Tsitsipas, you know, his game, it's interesting how people build their games and where they see margin and what defines alleged risk, alleged risk, and what really means when they say, go for it. I mean, if you own it, it's not going for it. It's owning. And so, but Tsitsipas, he's still, he's still kind of young and, and, the premise is always that the more versatile the player, the longer it takes to put the arsenal together. So mm-hmm. someone like Novak, who comes out of the box with the batters included, had a lot of great tools early on that he just refined and refined and refined. And then you look at the people, let's say like Federer. You know, like Federer, it took him it took him a while. He he was all of uh, let's see, now he was all of 22 when he won Wimbledon for the first time. <laughs> but still, it just. It just takes certain players a while to assemble their game. It's interesting. Sitsipas, I think he's going to look even more different two years from now. That's really interesting. And I think that applies to other sports. You know, having covered Major League Baseball for many years, pitchers who were allowed that time to to fail um, have turned out to be some of the greatest Hall of Fame pitchers ever. Like Tom Glavin comes to mind. Um, I mean, people don't realize this, but that guy got rocked early in his career. And he's just, he has a wide diversity of skills. Um, and those skills were, were allowed to, you know, develop. And Tsitsipas is a, is a thinker and sometimes an overthinker. And I mm-hmm. think he's beginning to correct that. But he's not someone who, you know, is see ball, hit ball win, lose, next city, play again. He's constantly, you know, he's, his nickname in, in UTR was the philosopher. And he's constantly <laughs> philosophizing about himself, his own game, everyone else's game. And maybe that's why it took him a little bit longer to really find the, the mindset. It's still taking. I mean, you're, he's the philosopher, right? He's the guy, he's, he's, in the, he's got the beret, he's going to classes. When it's sunny, he wants to go take a hike. He's just kind of like sorting out his whole his whole quest with his uh, with his uh, video camera and recording things. He, I wrote a story about him earlier this week about how yeah, he's not doing the blinders thing. You know, there are so many models that you can do the tennis and the the normal model we think of is the monastic model of Bjorn Borg in the dark hotel room or or Sampras is like that and Chris Evers ordering room service all the time. She talked about it and very focused. And then maybe there's some other ways to this stuff, I, we don't know, we're not quite sure. I mean, right now it seems pretty neat and he's young and he's in another semi. So we're gonna have to see how it goes. And he's very different than let's say our three. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, speaking of which, okay. Let, let's make this the, the last question on um, on this match. How much Federer do you see in Pass? Because immediately coming up, I think that was the first thing that a lot of people saw in him and maybe that's, one-handed backhand bias, but I also think that it's a, a willingness to come forward and a very forehand-based game. And one thing that I saw throughout this match is how 
uh, how nimble he is and how clear he is in his and clean he is in his footwork moving to his left and finding that forehand. I think he would be classified as an all court player as Federer would, you know, they have the different classifications, aggressive baseliner, counter puncher, all those, both Federer and Tsitsipas fit into all court player. The one big difference that I see right now is on serve because uh, Tsitsipas does not quite have the, um, the command, the spot serving prowess that Federer has. I mean, Federer is going to go down as one of, if not the greatest all-time server ever. So um, that will need to catch up to, to draw that comparison. Well, Amy, from your baseball, wouldn't you say that Federer as a server has got kind of a Greg Maddox pinpoint thing yeah. that's very precise? But he can bring the heat, too. He can bring the heat, you know? too. But it's, They're yeah, probably he's, similar miles per hour, I think, those two. But but I think Sitsipas, we're still we're still in the early for the school thing. We're still in the lower division years. It's quite, not quite clear what in the major is. He going to be a flamethrower? You know, like mm -hmm. what's that serve? He's he's tall. He's big. He's going to be a pinpointer, and he's kind of sort out because he has. You know, it's always that that mix. You don't want to be known as too much of a shot maker. I mean, for example, I bet you, Gil, like where you were learning to play tennis, shot maker was not really a good thing to be. It was about consistency. I think right. that's Shapovalov right now. That's Just right. Well, this is that like, in. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. or or Fanini. Let's go with the guy who was outclassed by by Nadal earlier in this tournament. Well, and and you look at uh, yeah. So the trick is, and at the same time, but look at the young Federer. He was considered a shot maker. Now, in some ways, that's good, but in some ways, the question is, how do you modulate that with consistency? How do you be a fastball pitcher with control? So you're not just you know throwing all these blocks. Yeah and all this stuff, like that's the thing you feel about, let's say about Dennis, that he's, he's flamethrower, but what's what's going on here? Whereas, um, so it's gonna be interesting to see how Tsitsipas evolves. And I, you know, it'd be really interesting to explore with coaches and players, how playing styles evolve at all levels, whether it's us or whether it's players way high up the mountain, like Tsitsipas, what becomes the, the mix of of, like you see, even the ways like people like Agassi, Agassi be, went from being kind of the shot maker to becoming more of a of a grinder with a lot of power. <laughs> he was like, I know, I know yeah. you didn't mean this, Joel, when you said pinpoint. I know you're talking about locations, but I, that reminded me. I, I don't really know. I don't have it readily in my mind. Um, is is he a pinpoint server or a platform server? Platform. platform. No, so, I'm sorry. Platform. Platform. Yeah. Platform. So he is like Federer platform. in that regard. Okay. Yeah. All right. You meant I meant pinpoint. Yeah, but aims. I, you meant as a yeah. And, and then I got curious and yeah. I got mad at myself because I couldn't picture it in my mind. So I asked the question. Well, he's had issues with his toss. Federer has the best toss. Him and Serena have the best ball tosses, and Titi passes is all over the place. And he's also got weird landings. He's jumping different directions. He pulls off. So he is not your Federer is literally, I mean, any technical geek, which I'm, I'm not even that, but any technical serving geek uh, who I love to talk to because they're very smart. Federer, you know, up there, you know, he's the model. He's it. And Tsitsipas is not that guy. Well, Tsitsipas is going to be, that's, a, that's, what we're talking about here is also discipline and energy. It's like, okay, get a ritual, bounce the ball. How are you even holding this hoss? You know, like Fed and Federer's got that thing down, right? I mean, there are 
there are probably legions of teenagers now who can walk on a court and mimic the Roger Federer pre-serve ritual. Just like when I was young, there was stuff with Jimmy Connors and, and Rod Laver and how you learn, you mimic the mimicry going on and the Federer stuff. It's like, you could see, you could just measure his pulse when he's about to serve compared to Sitsipas. And Sitsipas, you can see, it's just like, so for him, there's gonna be, there's this whole piece going on about energy management. How do you get that going in? But he's in the line stylistically of Federer and Pete Sampras and that whole notion of, of the cool kind of gunslinger, but he's got to find that, that emotional piece. And that's the thing about our three, all of them have great pre-serve rituals, how they organize themselves before they serve. They're different, but you see, God, they're just so well, okay. It's it's so funny that you said like who do you mimic on serve and and Gil you said Federer like that's the one that's the one for me it's Serena so I I have to ask you guys this because to me she has the most natural service motion in the entire world would a guy ever mimic her service motion or is that is that does that just not occur to you guys you should I think it's great I think you're right I think it should for sure fantastic serve i mean and I, i'm thinking about this also about how serena has inspired this whole generation of women we're in some of the be- some of the better serves are emerging look at jennifer brady look at pliskova look at uh, uh coco vandaway who's going to be coming back to the tour i mean a lot of these players and, and i think serena i think i think that should be mimicked why not why not i mean it's a, it's the best it's an incredible serve Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. As I said at the top, we we did want to get to Serena because she had an incredible run at this tournament, making the semifinals, beating Simona Halep, falling to Naomi Osaka, and you know she's what she's faced facing right now is going to be something that our three will face if they haven't already, which is uh, questions about about retirement, fair or unfair. But after the match, she addressed the crowd, put her hand on her heart, and and waved. And from the ESPN broadcast to the press conference afterwards, it, it kind of carried a certain buzz about, did Serena just say farewell to the Australian Open? And she was asked that question twice, basically, once uh, in a more uh, less straightforward way. And then the second time it was, some people were saying you were that was a farewell and she had to respond to that. Amy, do you think it's fair to ever ask that in a press conference? It's fair game, but it was it appropriate for the moment? No, I did. I cringed. I didn't like it at all. Um, I do believe that the media has an obligation to ask tough questions, but the question was asked, what did you mean by putting your hand on your heart? And she said, I did it to thank the Aussie crowd for coming out, you know, after everything they've been through, asked and answered. Then the reporter asked the follow-up, well, some people said it was a farewell. And 
Serena is coming off a tremendous run in this tournament where she ran up against Naomi Osaka, the hottest player on the women's tour, maybe the hottest player in tennis. And um, that should be what is being digested. And, and I call it um, what's nextism. Sometimes members of the media, myself included, we want to raise our hands and say, I got the next story. What's next for you, Serena? What's next? What's next? I got the spin forward. When we're missing this tremendous moment where she's had an incredible tournament. And by the way, what just happened in this match? And um, I, I thought that there was a lot of outrage online about it and, and justifiably so. No, it's never a productive question. It's, there, there are tough questions, tough questions about why you lose matches, about what's going on with your preparation, about what's going on with your coach. But I think it's not, I've, I've been in these going back to the days of Jimmy Connors and other players, and I've never seen a player say, oh, come to think of it, right. I just lost a match in the semis of a major. I'm retiring. You're, thank you for compelling me to, to, to provide that statement. I mean, it is a well-orchestrated strategy when a player wishes to announce the retirement. So in a way, asking it to me, it's, it's part of those outcome questions about, can you win a slam? Will you win a slam? Can he win a slam? Is he a factor? All this stuff that to me is almost science fiction. It's a little bit too much that way of, we treat sports like politics, we treat politics like sports. And to me, what engages me in the sport is the process of what's going on about, and that usually gets me the better answers I want anyway. They'll lead to where they're at with themselves emotionally. How was this Australian Open for you, Serena? Where are you seeing yourself now? And then the open-ended question of the curiosity, but the outcome-based question, can you win another major? I mean, that, uh, I don't like being asked, can I ever win another tennis match? So, so the, the, it's, it's all, it's, it's, and, and there's some, some sensitivities to that. So I think it's just, uh, and again, for our three, that's going to be the vulture in the room in the years to come too. I mean, Novak's the youngest, he's 33, but so many advancements in training allow people to, to last so much longer. Absolutely. And speaking of Novak, he had some incredibly gracious things to say uh, about Serena, and I'll just read you the quote here. When you're chasing big things that are related to the history of the sport, obviously it has a lot of weight, a lot of pressure, and regardless of the amount of years that you've played on the tour and the experience that you have, you still feel it on your shoulders. But I think when you see a larger picture of her and who she is and what she stands for on and off the court, I mean, she's one of the greatest athletes, not just tennis players. I'm proud and honored to be playing at the same time that she does. Not that she did, but that she does. And, and that almost brought me to tears because I, I, I was like, wow, I, I think Novak really gets it. And that was such a spot on gracious reaction. Well, to me, it makes me think of what I called once the, uh, the exponential power of multiple slams. So I think one is one, two is four, three is nine. So you just look at them as a, as a multiple. So Novak 17, he's got a 289. Well, Serena's got a 529. And again, when you're in that Polaris club of Megan Connors, I remember him practicing on a court alongside Navratilova at the US Open once I thought, wow, this is really pretty neat. And it's a neat part of our sport too, that great men and great women athletes 
compete alongside one another and have a certain regard for each other. And we joked about Serena being our fourth, maybe our, th our three are our, our, her second, third and fourth, when you see how great she has been. And I wanna just continue to see how she continues to compete this year. She'll announce what she announces when she wants to. In the meantime, I wanna see how she plays and get, that gets into our, our geeky things like, like service motions and shot selection and fitness and movement. God, look at her approved movements in this tournament. Just fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And it, it was an amazing tournament. It's not as if a player is going to retire with on anything other than their own terms through their own communication methods. And that might be calling a press conference or that might be posting on Instagram. That might be before the year. That might be before a tournament. That might be after a match, right? But whatever it is, it's always going to be on the player's terms. So stop fishing for it, right? Because it's not going to work. Um, yeah, and, I think and that all it is, does uh, is all it does is make the fans really mad, and the supporters of tennis. <laughs> right. 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 All right. So I, I'm glad we addressed that. Certainly, there's. Uh, we're not talking about retirement here. We're going to soon be talking about Novak Djokovic in the Australian Open finals whether he wins, whether he loses, whether he plays Daniil Medvedev or Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, we will have that for you after the tournament. Very much looking forward to that show. Always special after a major. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment. We are also available on all podcast platforms where you should also subscribe. And it is greatly appreciated if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That's always a big help. And we will see you next time on the next episode of Three.